welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in to Soccer Morning. We are live and on the air. Big show for you today. As always, thank you for making us part of your routine. We are uh, ready to go. Just got confirmation that our friend Christian Hennage will join us in a couple of minutes. We'll look at the Champions League, maybe take a look at the Premier League, get Christian's thoughts on the end of the MLS season uh, with the Portland Timbers, deserving champions in 2015. We are in day number two of Portland being the NMLS Cup champions. I uh, d- took it upon myself last night to watch as many videos as I possibly could find of the Portland Timber fans welcoming their team back to their home city uh, with that trophy in tow. It was a great scene. Uh, the Oregonian has some very good video, not only of the crowd that showed up to celebrate the Timbers championship, but also head coach Caleb Porter and his uh, his thoughts about winning this thing. And uh, his his he talked about uh, dreaming of that moment of the return to Portland or or the the, the scene in Portland should the Timbers win. And MLS Cup, and sure enough, they did. And uh, but there is no rest for the weary. It goes right into the MLS uh, silly season. We'll get to some of that here in just a moment. Let's start though with the Champions League because we have some crucial matches today. There obviously are a bunch of games tomorrow. We'll hit on the schedule on a Tuesday first. Wolfsburg hosting Manchester United. Fox Sports One, two p.m. Eastern time today. Win and you're in for both of these teams. This is how close things are. Manchester United can win the group. Wow, excuse me. That's never happened before on the air. Uh, Manchester United can win the group with a victory over uh, Wolfsburg, or they can crash out of the tournament altogether and end up in the Europa League or some such nonsense. So, lots of questions for Louis van Hall. No Wayne Rooney. Remains a very interesting time on the red side of Manchester. On the blue side of Manchester, they will host Gladbach in a game on Fox Sports Go. City is already in the last 16. They have qualified, but they could win the group if Sevilla beats Juve in the other match in the group. Gladbach is uh, no chance. They're going to end up in the Europa League, or they're trying to at least end up in the Europa League. Sevilla and Juve, as I mentioned, Juve can lock up the group if they win. Other games today, PSG, Shakhtar Donetsk. Real Madrid hosting Malmo, PSV versus CSKA in the battle of all the letters, Benfica versus Atleti, Galatasaray versus FC Astana. CONCACAF has announced that they will not name a new president until May after the last three guys, Jack Warner, Jeffrey Webb, and Alfredo Hawit, were indicted as part of the Department of Justice's investigation into FIFA corruption. The CONCACAF Executive Committee will Follow a, co- a, a collective leadership plan until May 12th of 2016 when they will convene in Mexico City for, uh, for an, an opportunity to elect a new president. CONCACAF a mess, Comabol a mess, FIFA a mess. Uh, this is not the end of it. There may be more fallout here between now and May, which is obviously why they have decided not to just follow protocol and name a new president based on their bylaws. MLS has announced its first ever class of free agents. That happened yesterday. Players at least 28 years of age and with eight years of MLS service are eligible for free agency. Notable names include Mike McGee, Ricardo Clark, Justin Mapp, Drew Moore, Alan Gordon, Edson Buttle, a couple of other names on that list. Um, these are not necessarily guys who are going to go get paid at 28 
at least 28 years old and eight years of service, but they will have an opportunity to continue their career, perhaps get a decent deal out of the free agent model, free agency model. Excuse me. In, uh, in MLS trades, uh, made official on Monday, Chris Pontius to Philadelphia for allocation money. Lamar Nagel joins DC United, perhaps to replace Chris Pontius for allocation money from Seattle. Christian Maidana and Andrew Winger of the Philadelphia Union moved to Houston for allocation money. We'll see uh, what this Philly rebuild is going to ultimately end up looking like. And there's two very interesting players for Owen Coyle in Houston. Recently retired U.S. Women's National Team forward and star Abby Wambach, the uh, highest uh, the, the, sorry, the greatest goal scorer in international soccer history, will release a memoir in 2016. The book will be called Forward, which is just a great, fantastic name for Abby Wambach's book. She retired this year, of course, after a career, a career of 14 years with the U.S. Women's National Team. Scored 184 goals in 253 matches, which is absolute insanity. Yesterday in the Premier League, Everton got an 81st-minute goal from Romelu Lukaku to salvage a point at home against Crystal Palace. It was Lukaku's sixth goal in his last five league matches, so a very good return. In fact, I saw a stat this morning that I did not include here. Uh, but I did recall off the top of my head just now, 50 goals in 100 games for Romelu Lukaku with Everton, which is uh, certainly well worth the investment when you go out and you sign a player like Romelu Lukaku, uh, the uh, Belgian striker, helping Everton stay afloat in the uh, in the middle of the Premier League pack at the moment. Let me just take a look at the Premier League uh, standing since we are about to grab our friend Christian Hennage, and we'll talk to him probably about that in addition to the Champions League. Uh, Everton in ninth place at the moment. Uh, Crystal Palace moves up a spot based on goal differential. Uh, thanks to that draw with, uh, they move up into sixth place ahead of West Ham on goal differential, ahead of Liverpool on goal differential. Uh, obviously the, the Premier League table is a fascinating thing at the moment with Leicester City leading Arsenal by two points after 15 matches. A long way to go, but we're, uh, we're approaching that halfway mark. As we get closer to the festive season, Manchester United down there in fourth place. Obviously, questions about Louis Van Hall. I've seen articles I'm not calling for, but I've seen articles questioning whether or not Louis Van Hall should be fired at some point in the near future, even if they manage to win at Wolfsburg today uh, in the Champions League. So again, Champions League coming up. Looking at the schedule, some very interesting matches. We'll talk to Christian Hennage, Hennage, excuse me, about that, about the, the Premier League. Maybe get his thoughts on the Portland Timbers' big victory in the MLS Cup final in 2015. Don't go anywhere. It's a, it's a big soccer morning. It's always a big soccer morning. It's a Tuesday soccer morning on worldsoccertalk.com. Stay right there. Get your, well, get yourself some coffee or something. Then come back and, uh, let's talk to Christian Hennage. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. It is a Champions League Tuesday. That is back. I don't have the Champions League theme potted up or, 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 or ready to go. 
Uh, I could do that. People, some people love it. Christian Hennage joins us now to talk. Well, talk a lot about a lot of things, but we're going to start with the Champions League. Christian, how do you feel about the the Champions League anthem? It's it's well produced. I think it I think it contains a line from every language in Europe or something like that. Something like it? that. It's right? all very kind of beautifully produced. It it is it is that's not a that's not an answer to the question whether or not you like it, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being diplomatic. All right, right, all right, all right. <laughs> we'll leave it near. We'll we'll leave that aside. Um, whether or not you like the anthem, you certainly can like the football. Uh, we have a, a bunch of matches today. Not a not a lot in them. Uh, in in terms of determining who's moving on, who's not. We've, a lot of these teams have have qualified already or have been eliminated already. But we start with the biggest match of the day. Uh, one that does have something on the line, and that's Wolfsburg. Hosting Manchester United, it continues to be a, a, there continue to be questions over Louis Van Hall, his approach at United, their inability to score goals. Uh, they go to Germany here. Is he? Well, I don't think I want to make it as dramatic as is he coaching for his job, but it's certainly is he coaching for something uh, tangible here as they move forward? Yeah, he's coaching for an opportunity of success, really, because I, I think in the Premier League he's not having that. There was a a stat floating around at the weekend that said in his last 116 games, Sir Alex Ferguson had zero nil-nil draws. I believe Louis van Gaal's had something ridiculous, like five in his last nine. So there's definitely a microscope being placed firmly under him and his football at the minute. So the opportunity for the, the Champions League to be, I guess, a kind of success is there purely because, you know, you can get them through the next stage. Although whether you consider that a success given it's Manchester United is, is another question entirely. It's something they have to achieve, but simply because Wolfsburg aren't in good form. You know, they lost the, the weekend to a very late goal by Borussia Dortmund. They drew away at Augsburg. They lost to Mainz uh, away quite recently. It's it's not a team that I would say is in form right now. And equally, I'm not entirely sure how much they've they've actually recovered from from the loss of of Kevin De Bruyne in the summer. They, they're in fifth, they're comfortable, but they're maybe not where they would like to be. Um, so for Manchester United, it's just a case of going away, going on the road, which, again, is, is never that easy a thing to do in the Champions League, and getting the job done. Now, how they do that is, is also, I think, something that needs to be evaluated as well, because, as you touched on there, the, the football hasn't been as electric or exciting as we've come to associate with Manchester United in recent years. And so... In many ways, I would argue that as much as the result will be scrutinized this evening, I think that the performance will be as well. Yeah, certainly that's uh, that, that's part of the problem here. Now, again, the, the Manchester United, the transition from Sir Alex into the new era, obviously started poorly with David Moyes. It, it got better under Louis van Gaal, certainly has more of that... Uh, uh, authoritative um, uh, bearing that that needs to come with the job, and yet what we now have questions over is whether or not he, they're playing. He's playing something that that is appropriate or right, or what the certainly what the fans want to see there at Manchester United, and and, and not that the the results come secondarily. If they, the results have to come with it, they got back to the Champions League. That was step one. Is it is it too greedy? I mean, it's Manchester United. I guess it's not. I guess I guess they're supposed to recover quickly if they do have a dip. Of course, I, I think you know. In some ways, we, we talk about you know is this football right in inverted commas for Manchester United? I think you actually have to look at it in a far more focused light and say, is it right for the players? And I think that's the problem. Is that actually it's not. You look at 
someone like Memphis Depay, for example, as, as a kind of case study. In Holland, he was very direct. He, he liked to take players on. If, if you kind of watch any of the, the nice compilations of him floating around on YouTube, you'll see he was someone that liked to dribble with the ball. And too often this season, when I've seen him, he looks nervous almost. He, he gets the ball, and, and if the situation doesn't feel right with the defender, he passes it backwards or sideways. And it's, it's something that I think is quite telling for the team in general. There's talk even about them getting a, a striker in January and, and how that could fix things. I don't think that fixes the, the lack of dynamism in the team. I mean, you look at, let's say, Anthony Martial, for example, when he came in, what he represented and, and how much that changed the way they played for that brief moment. It was, it was his running and his dribbling that essentially was the most kind of impressive and game-changing aspect of of the skills that you brought to Manchester United. And, and it's something that just seems missing in it. They don't seem to want to dribble for for some bizarre reason, and I'm still not entirely sure why. All right, so in this game in uh, against Wolfsburg, obviously Wolfsburg with a one-point lead in the group. So Wolfsburg wins the game, they win the group. They, they draw with United, it's going to come down to some goal differential. But then there's obviously the matter of PSV, who is taking on CSK in Moscow now. If PSV wins, Manchester United loses draws then they could be out of this turn or out of the the champions league uh how how much you know how how what do you think the likelihood is that we get to the end of the day and manchester united is in the europa league well, i think that's a good question the concern i perhaps have for manchester united fans is that cfk are not in good form um they lost on the weekend away to, to amcar in their last kind of five, I think the best result they've got is a draw against Angie, um away from home, a 1-1 result. Prior to that, they've actually had four 2-0 defeats in their last five, which is, is really concerning. You look at Igor Atkinson, I think he's getting close to almost 40 Champions League games without a clean sheet. Like I say, they're not a team in good form. Um, and in many ways, there is a reason that they're picking up the wooden spoon in this group. So, Undeniably, there is a concern if I'm a Manchester United fan in, in terms of this being a smooth ride. What I, what I would say is, look, you know, Manchester United are on eight points, PSV are on seven. The destiny, if you if you will, is in Manchester United's hands. Win the game, and it doesn't matter what PSV do. So, in that sense, you're not relying on anyone else. You control whether you go through. You have to get the job done. You have to win the game. And I think. In some ways, you can't really blame anyone but Louis van Gaal and Manchester United if they don't go through because they know themselves. Win the game and you're into knockout. Mm. Manchester City will uh, will take on... Um, uh, sorry, Manchester City will be taking on Gladbach today. Gladbach, obviously, in fine form. They just beat Bayern Munich. Lots of uh, praise for Fabian Johnson in that group um, in the Bundesliga, but they are not in play to move on to the round of 16 in the Champions League. So uh, I'm I'm curious what you think they have to play for. Obviously, Sevilla <coughs> is only is only in this to play spoiler or perhaps jump over Gladbach into the Europa League spot. Uh, and and City, how important is it for City to win the group? Let's just say it that way. I, th- I think it, it can always help you in terms of momentum more than anything because again, City have had a very polarizing group stage campaign I feel there's been moments where they've been able to pull something out and I think particularly the, the two games with Sevilla have, have been kind of good little moments for them in terms of getting something on the road and performing well on the road more importantly but they've also had 
to game against Juventus at home, which I think still kind of sticks out to me as another instance where you say, is this City team really mentally tough enough for this competition? Is it one that can, can go away and get the difficult results in the knockout stages that they'll need to do if they want to make any kind of inroads in the competition? I think if you if you if you manage to get the result at home again against, as you say, a, a good Borussia side, a team that managed to beat Bayern Munich at the weekend, it just builds that momentum. It just keeps that wheel turning, so to speak. And, and I think the the stronger you finish in the group stage, it just helps the mental side of things when you have to come back at the turn of the year and and go again. There are obviously questions with City right now because of what happened to them on the weekend. I mean, Gladbach comes in off of a big win over the best team in Germany. Meanwhile, Manchester City got played off the park by Stoke. Now, that there are some injury things that are in play with City, but Pellegrini is supposed to be able to juggle this a little bit better. What is the fundamental issue right there? And look, I mean, can City be focused on both fronts at the same time? I think they can. I think they've got the, the strength in depth in theory if you, if you look at the squad and the way it's constructed. In terms of defining the problem, the concerning thing is it looks like it's the absence of Vincent Company. Um, I, I believe there is a stat floating around that says with him in the, the team they've only conceded, I think, two goals in the Premier League. Without him, they've conceded double figures. And again, you look at the defensive lineup again against Stoke at the weekend, there were just kind of big gaps of space that were, were left in behind there. There was a lack of genuine organisation. Bakari Sanya is, is constantly checking behind him to keep an eye on Arnautovic and loses him quite easily, doesn't get goal side, which is something I remember from kind of my, my younger days as a coach would always shout, you know, keep him goal side. Um, and equally, the, the second... Arnautovic is allowed into far too much space in behind. And and that, for me, is, is a huge problem for them, is that when there's certain components missing, I think Dario Tour is another one to a lesser extent, they just look a, a lot more porous at the back. And, and I think it's it's certainly a quality issue to a degree. You, you can't necessarily replicate the quality that Vincent Company brings. I also think it's an organisation thing, though, as well. I think he, having watched him kind of up close, he's very vocally someone that's not just organising those alongside him in the defence, he's also talking to the midfield, he's, he's knitting the team together, if you will, with his instructions, and I think that's something that City definitely missed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Vincent Company, obviously, but you know, again, this is a, a club with so many, so many resources that for one player to, 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 I mean, look, every every club has players who are, are, are very important to, to just the, the, the consistency of the of the team, uh, Christian, but to 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 have Vincent Company not in the lineup and have it impact them so greatly. I mean, is that a failure on Pellegrini's part? Is it a failure on? I mean, wh- where do you lay the blame there? Because they should be able, regardless of, of of how good he is, they should at least be able to be competent while he's gone. Yeah, well, this is the the same football club that wants you to listic in a, a press conference to describe its manager. I think, in that sense, you have to apply it to everyone. You have to say it's the recruitment side of things in the sense that they haven't always made the smartest moves, I think, in the transfer market. Equally, undeniably, some of it has to fall to Pellegrini because I would imagine that he's had some say in the transfers. He's been involved in those meetings and consequently some of the players he's bought haven't been of a quality. Um, I think, in general, there are certainly 
weak points in that team. I always look at Sami Nasri as a, as a good example of someone that, that really I don't think was worth the money. Looking looking back on things, and in, in general, yes, there is a, a quality on paper in, in what City have spent, and and they've certainly spent significantly. I think we can all agree on that. I just don't know if there are enough personalities in there, enough leaders, if you will. I think certainly there's, there's players that have, have shone in, in the teams before and, and been able to do things in the Champions League. But how many of those individuals actually can, can pick those up around them? I'm not sure if, if they've done that. I, I think that's something that's really let them down um, during their recruitment in the last few years. Right, so, so we've talked about, obviously, Manchester United because they're not qualified yet. It's very tight there uh, in Group B. Uh, we touched on Manchester City, who has a chance to go and win Group uh, D, even though they're already qualified. There's certainly something to play for. Uh, you know, there there are there's some jockeying here. We got games tomorrow as well, Christian. I haven't looked at the schedule, but obviously, uh, many games that have uh, will have a bearing on who advances. When when you look at the schedule, where does your eye go? Because again, it's not just about qualifying; it's also about seeding, about finishing first. Because we've seen over the course. Over the last couple of years, sometimes getting into that second pot can be the end of your run. Exactly. I, I think in terms of where my eye is, is going this evening, it has to be Wolfsburg. I, I think, again, you, you talk about the, the seeding kind side of things. I mean, you could look at Group A. You know, you've, you've got Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain battling for the, the top there. Again, you could try and watch City, I think, if you want to, to see how they get on. But for me, it kind of it, it all focuses on Group B. There, there's something to play for there. It could, in theory, kind of ebb and flow between the, the two games in terms of interest and, and where your eye goes. A bit like the, the last day of the season in the, the Premier League or, or um, any league in, in Europe. So that's where kind of my eye is trained for, for tonight. I think tomorrow, it's Arsenal for me personally, yeah. <laughs> without wishing to sound too uh, Brit-centric I, I think you're looking at them with a, a poor record in Greece you're looking at them trying to, to fix the mistakes of earlier in the group when they, they couldn't get it done against Dinamo Zagreb they couldn't get it done against Olympiacos at home and, and essentially they're trying to exercise their demons with the, the last game of the group yeah, a win, a win at Olympiacos for Arsenal will put them in uh, into the quarterfinal. I'm sorry, into the round of 16 in the Champions League because Olympiacos is just uh, is three goals back on goal differential. Uh, they can't, uh, they can't, uh, they can't catch Arsenal there if they, especially if they lose. Um, obviously, Bayern Munich is is ahead of the pack at the moment in uh, in Group F. I'm just looking again. I'm looking at at some of these games tomorrow. Um, we continue to talk about um, about Chelsea. They're they're right now ten points tied with Porto uh, in Group G at the top. Uh, they obviously have a game tomorrow that can lock in their spot in the round of sixteen. They lost again um, on the weekend. Uh, Christian, more heat on on Jose Mourinho. Is this another situation where he's perhaps uh, coaching for his job? For the first time, I would say possibly yes. Um, that, that defeat to Bournemouth, that's the first time that Chelsea have lost to a newly promoted side at home since 2001. Um, interestingly enough, the manager at that point was none other than Claudio Ranieri, the man that currently sits at the top of the Premier League. The concern you have is, is, is in theory that, I mean, let's, let's play worst case scenario if, if we can for a second and say that Dynamo Kiev 
beat Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is unthinkable given Maccabi have got zero points so far. And Chelsea lose um, to Porto at home. Chelsea then go into the Europa League, which, again, I'm sure you know, some fans will, will point to the fact that they won that recently. And actually, in a backwards way, it could be a good backdoor into the Champions League if they go and win that sure. competition again. But yeah. they're not looking good enough, I think, this season for, for that to happen. It's unlikely, I think, that, that Chelsea qualify for the Champions League through the league form this season. Um, they, they simply don't look good enough. And, and in many ways, I, I think Mourinho's lost the, the pragmatic edge to his tactics and the way that he operates. So often he kind of fixes problems as they arise. I think at the minute he's letting a lot of them just kind of continue almost as if to prove a point to, to those above him in terms of recruitment and, and what he needs from the transfer market. I think, as I say, if he fails to to get that next round berth and they, they go into the Europa League, that's when the higher-ups start to question if he's the right man. Is this actually the wheels falling off? Because if we remember the last time he left Chelsea, he left kind of before anything managed to fall apart. He left quite relatively early in the season. You worry now, if he doesn't make that next round, how much worse could it get? Because again, they're, they're still kind of within viewing distance of the relegation zone. They're not picking up results. They're, they're so indifferent at this point. It's, it's quite literally, if you look at their form, it's win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. That doesn't seem like changing anytime soon. They, they look a team devoid of ideas. They look a team that concede goals very easily, and that's even with this kind of defensive behemoth in midfield that is Nemanja Matic. Let's, uh, let's turn to the Premier League, uh, Christian Wally. We have you here. Obviously, the story of the year so far, Leicester City. The Foxes, top of the table, surprising everyone. As you mentioned, Claudio Ranieri in charge of that team and, and, and has them in, in, in a lofty place at the moment. I'm looking right now at the fixture list. They have, they have Chelsea uh, coming up on the weekend um, at home. They play Everton at Goodison on the 19th, Liverpool at Anfield on the 26th, they're home to Manchester City on the 29th, and they're uh, home to Bournemouth on January 2nd. So the, that festive period is going to test them uh, dramatically. Uh, the, the only one of those matches that looks like, oh, well, that's three points, is, is Bournemouth for sure. Uh, are we going to see, are we going to look up in the new year and see that, that Leicester has finally faded? I'm really not sure. You know, I, I think I'm not saying that I think they could get wins against the, the big clubs they've got to face. I think they might be able to pick up the odd result, though. I mean, you look at the, the swing of last season. After 15 games last season, Chelsea were 26 points ahead of Leicester. They're now 17 behind them. So there's been a massive swing in, in both those clubs' kind of fortunes compared to the last campaign. Um, and the, the fact that, you know, I think Leicester have lost just one of the, their last 19. And, and equally, this idea that the wheels fall off, there hasn't been a team in Premier League history that sat top at this point and finished lower than sixth. So, in theory, they, they're going to stay in that top pack. It's just placing them where they're going to kind of fit in, if you will. I'd be surprised if it's Champions League. I think they could make the Europa League, though. I think they could hold on to that. A lot of this depends really on, on the key players staying fit, which is something we always talk about in terms of that momentum for a season. It's not just Vardy. I think certainly he's grabbed the headlines, I think to a lesser extent Mares has as well. But it's the, the selflessness in, in those two players that I think is, is more important. You look at the weekend, Vardy's kind of chasing that record or trying to extend it even further. 
and yet he passes to Morris, who's in a better position to make it 3-0, complete his half-trick. Behind him, I think someone who hasn't got much of the press but deserves it is Danny Drinkwater, ex-Man United midfielder. Someone that I think is really starting to control games, is really starting to grow into the position. And again, furthers that idea that a lot of these Leicester players have actually developed at the football club. It's not been a case of, you know, they've gone and spent big money on them. In fact, the ones that are shining the most are some of the ones they bought for the lowest fees. And I think when you believe like that, and equally, when you've got someone as talented as Claudio Ranieri, this is a man that certainly was, was questioned a lot in the summer when he did come in, but actually has a, a fantastic pedigree, has has done a lot in the, the game, has worked for some of the biggest clubs in the world, Juventus, Inter Milan, etc., and got things done. So, again, this idea that they're going to fall off, I just can't subscribe to that yet because I think actually they're playing very good football. There's really not a case of fortune for Leicester in, in this run. I think it's genuinely very good play by them. Christian, since you're here, I haven't had a chance to really dive into this, and for whatever reason, it hasn't resonated with me. But I, I do, and, and I, it's maybe it's just um, with the premiere, with the uh, the MLS season coming down to the wire. I've been very focused on that. But Jamie Vardy is obviously a massive story in England, and his rise from lower league football to the Premier League, where he's scoring for fun for Leicester and they're top of the table and, and all of this. I mean, I'm looking right now. There's a story about his estranged father didn't even know who that Vardy was his son. The, these things are obviously going to be coming down upon him, not necessarily in a bad way, but he does have to learn how to handle these things. Uh, just give me your sense of the Jamie Vardy story, where he, where he came from, how, how re- remarkable this is, and whether this is really... You know, this is something he can continue to do. Maybe not at this pace, of course, but being one of the best strikers in the Premier League rather than a flash in the pan. Well, it's, it's something I've I've actually wrote about quite recently. I've, I've spoken to coaches, teammates, even journalists that, that worked with Jamie when he was in that eighth tier and when he was down in the the lower leagues that you talk about. And and by all accounts, he he's a very kind of matter of fact, regular guy and. For those that have stayed in touch, that hasn't changed. Now, of course, the, the controversy that surrounds him is that racist incident in the casino yeah. where he used a, a derogatory term. That's something that I think could cause problems for him because, again, it doesn't seem like going away. And I think that's completely understandable because it's not acceptable, period. There is no ifs, ands, or buts to that. The focus spotlight, again, is, is something that he has to deal with in terms of people evaluating him and questioning his ability and and ability to maintain it. But the weekend was the first instance, of course, where that run stopped. This is the, the more difficult period for him now. I, I don't think maintaining the goal-scoring form was the difficulty. It was what happens when the run stops. How do you respond to that? Now, he managed to get an assist, as we touched on there. I think <clears throat> what, you're, what you're picking on about his game is it, it hasn't necessarily been fortune that's got him the goals that he has. It's been... Willing running, which is something he's done all the way back to his days at Stocksbridge Park Steels back in the eighth tier. He loved to run in behind. I remember talking to, to Gareth Seddon, who was with him at, at Fleetwood, and he said it was a, it was a simple tactic we had. I flipped the ball on, he chased after it. You look at the goal against Manchester United as a great example. His eagerness to run in behind, the pace that he has with which to do that, to stretch defences, I think... You, that will always get you chances, if not goals. It will always get you opportunities to find the net because, again, it's about timing. It's something that really 
defenders really struggle with because, again, your pace is one thing, but your pace on the turn is a completely different kettle of fish. And in terms of him maintaining that form, I think there's enough creativity in Mahrez, in, in Drinkwater that we've touched on, in Albrighton, in the, in the attacking midfield to give him the chances he's going to need to try and find the net. So I was tempted almost to to put out that he may not break 20 goals for the season because we have seen these half-season wonders. I always look mm-hmm. at Amir Zaki, the Egyptian striker who was at Wigan, as a, a great example of someone who up until Christmas looked an absolute world-beater and then January came and, and something happened to him that, that just kind of broke his goal-scoring form. I don't feel like that's Jamie Vardy, though. I feel like there's something there with him and, and there is actually a tangible talent and tangible skills that we can see playing out most weeks. You know, it's interesting that even when the Premier League throws up this um, surprising first half of the season or, or first couple of months, even when we get a a, a team that, that was, uh, wasn't expected to be there at the top there for a while, I mean, Southampton obviously comes to mind, Christian, things usually correct themselves eventually. And when I say that, I mean, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. The money certainly rises to the top. And and yet this particular season, I mean, we've talked about Manchester City and their consistency problems, especially without Vincent Company at the back. They obviously need him. Uh, Sergio Aguero being hurt, several other things there for Manchester City. Arsenal, you know, Arsenal is never convincing, and they always have injury problems. We know about United and their their style issues under Van Hall right now. Tottenham is Tottenham, uh, and then you get down into the Liverpool Everton area, and we know where they are at the moment as they try to scramble back up. Certainly, Liverpool, Liverpool trying to regain their previous status. If this was going to happen, and when I say this, I mean let's say Leicester making the Champions League spots. Is this the year that it that it could actually happen? Because again, I don't see a team here. Chelsea's in fourteenth place. It's a weird year. Exactly. I, I think if if you go back a few years when when Newcastle managed to finish fifth, it was partly because Chelsea had essentially abandoned the Premier League and the, the chase for the Champions League. So when there is an instance like that where you have be it a team focusing on something else or in the case of Chelsea this year, a genuine struggle, there is an opportunity to, to diversify the pack that makes the Champions League and also change things up. What I would be looking at is you've got Tottenham in, in fifth there, a team that actually look in, in great form, have the quality. I think just as much as, as Leicester may see this as a chance to make the Champions League, I bet Tottenham do as well. Sure. Now the difference is, is that Tottenham, I would argue, have more of that experience to close that out. They've got the likes of Vertong and Alderweireld, players that have made the Champions League before, have got that big game experience. When I look at that Leicester team, I have to confess, I just don't see it in in abundance. There's Gokhan Imla, but he's not playing. It's it's N'Golo Kante and, and Danny Drinkwater that are taking those central midfield spots. So, if it's going to happen, I think, yes, it's going to be this year. If I'm picking someone to take that fourth Champions League spot, and it's not Liverpool, who I think at the minute are kind of fluctuating between success and failure, largely because at the minute they can't play against teams that let them have the ball, which is something they'll have to face this weekend when, when West Brom travel to Anfield. Then it's it's between Leicester and Tottenham. And, and if I'm having to put my, my poker chip down, I think it's going to Tottenham, to be, to be honest with you. I, th- I think they've got the better experience. And in that instance, I'm then looking for, for Leicester to finish right on the cusp of things, maybe in fifth, maybe in sixth. 
But it's a lot of this, I think, will depend essentially on how Liverpool perform because we've seen them really fly between the two ends of the pole where they've destroyed Manchester City, they've destroyed Southampton. But interestingly enough, in, in both games, they didn't dominate possession. In fact, if anything, they they gave it away and they had less than half the ball in those games. And I think that's very telling for, for Jurgen Klopp and, and the way that he plays football and the way that he best plays football. Christian Henich, you should follow him on Twitter. It's K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Christian, enjoyed it as always. Uh, we'll be watching the Champions League today, see if Manchester United can get it done, and obviously uh, lots of interesting things in the Premier League. We'll have you back shortly, I'm sure, to talk about the uh, the continuing uh, developments in Europe. Appreciate the time. Thank you, mate. Always a pleasure. And there goes Christian Henich. Great stuff from him, as always. Always glad to talk to Christian. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you on a Tuesday, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It's Tuesday. Tuesday is the day you call me up and talk about soccer with me. Well, every day is that day, but this is especially the day, mostly because there's not a lot here. We can talk about the Champions League. We flesh some stuff out uh, with Christian Hennage, but we've got more to go over here if you want. What are you watching this afternoon if you're able to watch? Please tell me you're able to watch. That boss button thing, right? That's still a thing. That's still something they do. Fox has got some options out there for you to watch some games. Where are all these games? I need to go check my, I need to go check my, uh, list of, of games here. The, uh, the, the, the schedule. They used to have, see, Fox, I love you, Fox. I love that you're showing all this soccer, making all this commitment. But can you do something about the the website? Because it used to be great. It used to have the the games were on the right hand side. I know I'm being this is complaining for no apparent reason. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm this is first world world problem stuff here. I realize that. All right, so we've got Manchester United Wolfsburg in the cherry spot on Fox Sports One. You have Manchester City Gladbach on Fox Sports Two. Then everybody else is on Fox uh, Sports Go or for whatever that's called. Fox Sports to go to to take it with you. Fox Sports go. I need to get my uh, I need to get my uh, my my pass updated. My password and and access updated. So there we um, there we go. All right, it's it's six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. That's your phone number. That is the number you should call to talk to me about soccer. We go with uh, Champions League, we go with the Premier League, we go with Leicester City. Here's a question for, for the Americans out there. And, and maybe you are of the, the inclination to watch the Premier League but don't have a team. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't watched the Premier League before, but you could always be um, enticed into doing so. Does a story like Leicester, does that make you, does that, is that attractive to you? Are you, 
Are, are, do you find yourself rooting for Lester? I'm, I'm an underdog guy myself. I am. I've always been an underdog guy. I like. I think a lot of Americans are underdog people for whatever reason. We don't want the the team with all the uh, with all the advantages to win. We want the team that that has to scrape and scrap. I mean, it's Hoosiers. It's Mighty Ducks. It's um, the Big Green or whatever that movie was to make it about soccer. We, we, we like our underdogs. We like our teams that have to overcome and, and, and there's adversity and, and, you know, bad news bears. And I'm trying to think of, there, there's got to be a lot more examples of this. I mean, that's, those are our sports movies. We don't really have a soccer version that has permeated the culture. One day maybe we'll get that movie, but, but Lester fits that mold, right? And here they are, top of the table after 15 matches. Now that's not, that's not even halfway through the season, but it's not an in- insignificant number of matches either. I mean, if again, I asked Christian, if are we going to wake up in 2016? Are we going to look up in 2016 and Leicester's going to have faded? And I hope they, I hope not. I hope not. Again, it's it's not it's not the worst run of matches through the festive period, but it's not the best either. They're going to face a desperate Chelsea team on the weekend. Depending on what happens in the Champions League today, even more desperate perhaps for Jose Mourinho. Or they may face a, a, a Chelsea team in complete disarray. That's possible as well. Then they have to go to Goodison. They have to go to Anfield, back-to-back, within a week of each other. Then they're at home to Man City and home to Bournemouth. So from, that's, that's the uh, three games in, a, in the span of about what? What is that, six days? Seven days? I mean, that's when they get tested. When you're away to Liverpool, home to City, away to, uh, sorry, away to Liverpool, home to City, home to Bournemouth. I mean, I guess it's almost a, it's, it's a good thing that they have Bournemouth at the tail end of that run because that gives, that, that's the, that's the weakest of these teams, to be honest. I mean, even though Bournemouth beat Chelsea, look, whatever. We know Bournemouth is, as they promote, newly promoted team, bottom of the table. They're, they're the team that, that, that Leicester's supposed to get three points against at home if they're going to have any chance of this. I mean, and we still are, again, 15 games in. We're still in that period trying to flesh out exactly what to make of this team. Here's, here's an example. David Hershey over at ESPN FC right now. Four reasons to fear mighty, for, fear mighty Leicester as their superb season continues. And the, 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 the headline is when you look for it on, when you see it on Google, Leicester City deserved to be taken, deserve to be taken seriously. We're still processing that. Let's go to, uh, let's go to our friend Nelly down in Texas. What's up, man? Hey, Jason. This is Nelly. Hey, uh, <clears throat> this weekend I was watching, uh, Tigres play Toluca down in Mexico. Yeah. And a buddy of mine brought up an interesting question. I want to see what you think. He was talking about, uh, Andre Pierre Chignot, how he's been killing it in Mexico. And we had a nice little debate of who has done better for their league, Javinko or Jignac. You know, it was kind of a, both are, you know, national team players, European, younger. I was telling him, well, in my opinion, Javinko, I think, has done more for MLS than than Pierre has done for yeah, Liga Mekis, look, 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 but look, G- seems G- like both have done pretty well. Gignac has, has done brilliantly for Tigres, uh, but I think that you know what, what we're talking about, Nelly, is the 
where the floor is or where the where the the base level is for these two leagues and and Mexico Liga MX's uh, base level is still a lot higher than MLS. So you bring in a player like Gignac and yeah, he's great for the league and he's a uh, you know they don't get a lot of uh, of European stars clearly in Mexico um and he brings something new and he brings a a different element and him he, what he's done for the league has been great but it's not as much as Jovinko because Jovinko is so unique, like beyond unique in MLS. He's he's in his prime. He's scoring great goals. He's getting himself into the Italian national team. I think I think Jovinko has done more for MLS because MLS has farther to go. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you think also we're going to have competition with Liga MX bringing more European players? I saw. <clears throat> I read an article where he said that he he's been talking to a lot of European players about then going to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, you see that a competition for MLS, like absolutely copying us. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, I think. Well, okay, I guess you could look at it that way, but I mean, it's just the maturation of the Mexican league alongside what what MLS and and maybe Mexico started to the Mexican league and the Mexican owners started to to think. <clears throat> well, okay, MLS isn't on our level yet, but they could be our competition. They can be. They can certainly rival us um, in this part of the world. We need to keep up or stay ahead, and if we need to do that, then maybe we do need to go spend money on players like Andre Pierre or Gignac because they bring, again, a new element, a, a star power from Europe that, that Liga MX has not traditionally had. MLS has, has been focused on that element for the last 10 years or eight years, and, and, and it wasn't, but it was always in that, well, they're 35, they're 38, and you know, I don't know that you're going to get Mexican teams looking to sign Andrea Pirlo. Look, uh, Ronaldinho did his last run in Mexico, or a run in Mexico. He, I think he's played in Brazil since. But uh, I, I, I think that we could see something like that. But I don't know that it's. I don't know if it's about. I don't know what it's, I don't know what it would be about necessarily. Because again, you have, you don't have a collective mindset in Mexico the way you do in the U.S. Well, I think that would be kind of interesting if more Europeans go to Mexico. We'll have a more interesting Champions League, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Right. I mean, thanks for the call, Nelly. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, again, Thank you. Uh, the the place MLS has to go is farther away. So when Jovinko comes here and does his Jovinko thing, that pushes the league forward in in, in a more dramatic way than Andre Pierre Geniac brings to the to the Mexican league. Meaning, you know, Tigre spends a bunch of money. That's a great team. That's a good team anyway. You know, when Club America does something, that's a, that's a very good team that can compete with some of the best teams that, you know, South America has to offer. Um, regardless of whether they go and sign a European star. So I think there's just more, there's more room for growth with Javinko than there is with Gignac. But that doesn't mean Gignac hasn't been a dramatic success in Mexico in a way that's absolutely notable. All right. Uh, 646-832-3909. I've got Kyle Kessler on Twitter talking about the Leicester story. As an EPL and soccer fan, I love it, but as a Chelsea fan, it makes it hard. Well, Chelsea, you know, obviously they have their own issues, uh, with this season. Jose Mourinho continues to, uh, to struggle there for whatever reasons. Whether those are, he just, you know, after a couple of years, he loses his grip on the club or, you know, we obviously started with, uh, Dr. Ken, uh, Kenyero and, and that whole dr- dramatic, uh, 
controversy and idiocy on the part of Jose. We have the Diego Costa thing that has been trailing them for a lot of the season. It's it's not good at, at, at Chelsea right now. Uh, it's not good at all, and we'll see if it gets any better. And again, they have uh, the Champions League tomorrow against Porto at home, and then they then they take on Leicester. And uh, Leicester, if Leicester's going to stay atop the Premier League table, or at least remain in the conversation to make a, a, a Champions League spot, they're going to need to get p- surprise points, or points they weren't expected to at the beginning of the year. And now, I'm honestly, based on the situation in the Premier League, Leicester should get points off of Chelsea. I mean, that's what you would think, right? All right. 646-832-3909. I don't know that we've dove as fully into the U.S. Women Contra, U.S. Women's National Team game cancellation controversy as we could. We talked to Jeff Kasuf about it yesterday. We talked about Megan Rapino and her injury and her timeline, and that's going to be difficult for her, but we've also, we also did touch on, on all of this. Uh, but it seems that there are going to be other things that are going to unfold here as time goes on. In fact, this morning, I shared on Twitter a story uh, from uh, new, from a, te- a television channel in Honolulu that there is going to be some legal action over this situation. Legal dispute brewing between state U.S. Soccer Federation over canceled soccer match. The soccer turf war between the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Fe- Federation continues, and now with possible legal action. Uh, this channel reveals that U.S. Soccer is calling the stadium authority in default after Sunday's match was canceled on short notice because of the team's turf concerns at Aloha Stadium. It looks, it looks like, it looks like U.S. Soccer is going to go after the authorities that run the stadium in Hawaii because of this turf issue. Now, the, the stadium authority has responded and said, well, you know, there's certain elements within the, the contract that either weren't agreed to or there wasn't a contract signed. There was some type of agreement, but it doesn't necessarily hold them to the loss that, that U.S. Soccer was going to incur. I mean, it, the whole thing is just, very, very messy. And this is uh, from Bones, PSU Bones on Twitter. Just for reference, Aloha Stadium has hosted soccer tournaments with MLS reserves in the past. U.S. soccer not entirely to blame. Well, again, I think it's incumbent upon U.S. soccer. The responsibility is on U.S. soccer to head out to the stadium and do their due diligence and look into the condition of the turf, especially if you know it's turf. We don't... We know... Generally speaking, almost across the board, soccer players don't like turf, okay? We want to get into whether or not grass, sod laid over artificial turf is worse. Yeah, sure. We want to get into bad uh, bad grass is actually worse than good turf. Yeah, sure. But generally speaking, if given the choice, soccer players want grass. They don't want the fake stuff. They want grass. So when ML, when, when, sorry, when U.S. soccer goes and schedules a game in any stadium, in any place in this country under their auspices, especially when it's such a clear money grab situation, I'm not necessarily blaming them for money grab, but it is a clear money grab situation. It's Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, I hope that that team progresses and gets better and becomes a CONCACAF notable in the future, but right now it's, they're they're a patsy. That's a that's the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. That's what that is. Trinidad and Tobago versus the United States Women's National Team at Aloha Stadium in Hawaii. 
So if you're scheduling these games in your U.S. soccer, it's a victory tour. It's taking the team around. We're going to show them off. Check the turf. If you have to play it on turf, I mean, uh, I guess. I mean, they made, there's probably no other option in, in Hawaii and Honolulu than, than Aloha Stadium. I, I guess. Probably not. Probably not a, a stadium big enough to, uh, to host a U.S. women's soccer team match. So I, I guess you have to do it there if you want to take, if you want to go to Hawaii. You could avoid Hawaii, but maybe that's not fair to Hawaii. I don't know how you feel about that. But check the turf. I mean, make sure that today, not four years ago, not three years ago, not, not last month when the last event happened and everybody seemed to have no problem. Don't trust that it's the same or that it's good or that those other authorities were doing their jobs. If the NFL or, or Major League Soccer or the high school officials or the University of Hawaii officials or whoever check the turf, don't trust that they did a good job checking the turf. Go check the turf. Send one of your people out. Check the turf. They didn't seem to do that until two days, three days before the game. And then went, oh, okay. You know, there's actually a, a, a detail in this story. It's uh, I have the link on my Twitter account if you want to read it. Uh, but there is a, a, a detail here that says U.S. Soccer ex- accepted the stadium on Thursday. Then the, the players went to the stadium on Saturday and said, whoa, no, no. Here's the, here's the key paragraph from me. The stadium had to deliver no alterations. <clears throat> this is the, the about the surface. The stadium had to deliver no alterations other than removing residual markings from other sports, and it gave U.S. soccer the right to inspect the field seven days ahead and again 48 hours prior to the game. Things looked good at that time. Wait, who said things looked good at that time? Oh, here's a quote. Stadium manager, stadium manager Scott Chan said on Sunday that, quote, when they signed the contract and they came on Thursday, they made it very clear that it was acceptable. Nothing came up until last night at the last hour. U.S. soccer looks to be in the process of suing the stadium authority in Hawaii over the condition of this field because the game was canceled. But U.S. soccer, according to stadium manager Scott Chan, said as recently as Thursday, the stadium or the, the field was fine. It wasn't U.S. soccer that said, wait a second, we have a problem, cancel the game. It was the players. The players had to go and look out for themselves. That's the problem here. U.S. soccer failed as advocates for their team. U.S. soccer failed as the protectors of the, uh, the, the world class assets that they have in this U.S. women's national team. Did they not? Am I wrong about this? Champagne Soccer Company on Twitter. U.S. Women's National Team players hate turf. U.S. Soccer schedules cash, cash grab uh, on turf. Uh, uh, crash grab. Crash. Uh, sorry. Let me try one more time. U.S. Women's National Team players hate turf. U.S. Uh, U.S. Soccer schedules cash grab tour on all turf fields. Didn't vet Hawaii. U.S. Soccer at fault. <clears throat> it's callous. It's it, at the very least. It's callous and it's greedy. And it, and it it is not up to the standards that these that this team requires that any team requires. 
it makes it look like U.S. soccer sees every single one of those players as an ATM machine from which they can draw out cash. Look, I know the women get paid very well when they make the national team. I'm sure this tour has put some money in their pockets. But come on. 646-832-3909 if you want to jump in. Uh, we, we did, again, we covered this issue yesterday. We can continue moving on. Uh, we've got the Champions League today. We've got the Premier League stuff. We've got MLS and the silly season getting underway. And when I say silly season, of course, it's a different kind of silly season than we see in a place like Europe or South America. But what we've got is a free agency group for the first time ever. Now, free agents can be... Uh, uh, are, are eligible, that are eligible, that are in this group. The teams can start negotiating with them at 1 p.m. Eastern time today. So you imagine you'll see some stuff announced pretty quickly because what I'm seeing is even though names like Rico Clark are on this list, Rico Clark may have a new contract already with the Houston Dynamo. Uh, just to give a, a brief overview, some of the names on this list. Guys, I would expect to, to, to find contracts fairly quickly. Uh, I imagine John Bush and Troy Perkins will probably find somewhere to go, uh, as maybe backup goalkeepers pretty quickly. You've got some, some, some veterans in the defensive uh, group. Stephen Keel, Drew Moore, James Riley, Ty Harden, Bobby Burling, C- Corey Ash, Michael Harrington. Those guys, I, I imagine they'll all land somewhere. Who knows at what kind of money? Uh, looking at the midfield here, the names that jump out at you are Justin Mapp, Paulo Nagamura, uh, Rico Clark, who I just mentioned, may be returning to the Dynamo with a new contract. Uh, Ned Grabovoy, Nick LeBrocca, both on this list. And then your forwards, Barrett, Buttle, Connor Casey, Kenny Cooper, Alan Gordon, Mike McGee. So we may see something happening here. I, I, I don't know. Again, you have to be 28 years old and have eight years of service in MLS. It's a, it's a fairly exclusive group. A fairly exclusive group. I mean, obviously, these are the guys that are out of contract. And this is not going to be a situation where it's get paid. These guys are not in a position where their free agency comes just when they're ready to, to cash in the way it happens in Major League Baseball or the NFL or whatever. MLS, is, <clears throat> MLS has endeavored through this CBA to make sure that the free agents that the league produces are mostly guys looking for their last contract or mostly guys looking for that middle contract before they move on to their final decision about when to stop playing. None of these guys, I doubt any any of these guys are getting raises. That would be my bet. Not a single one of them is going to get a raise over their previous contract. So, we'll see just how, uh, just how, how big this is. There are some trades that are ha- have happened already. Chris Pontius to Philadelphia, Lamar Nagel to DC United, Christian Maidana and uh, Andrew Winger to, uh, to Houston from Philadelphia remains uh, watching all of that. All right. I, I think that's going to do it. The-, the calls have quieted down. We had a good discussion with Christian Hennage today. Let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for listening to Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Enjoy your Champions League. Uh, make sure you uh, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Check out the SiriusXM show. There's some free preview stuff happening over there. If you sign up, you may be able to get the show for free for a little while and check us out and see if you want to subscribe. All right. Anything else? I think we're done, right? We're done. Thank you to everybody on Twitter. Thank you to Nelly. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.
disappear